0: Last week we began a look at one of the most interesting chapters of the Old Testament. And here is is the setup. Next Wednesday, excuse me, next Thursday is what? Very important day for all of us who like to eat. Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving. And, And maybe equally important to those of us who are a part of this great church. Next Tuesday night, not Wednesday, but next Tuesday night... We have a little get-together here at the church. Do you know what that get-together is called? Chili pie supper. And the saints rejoiced and were glad. It's one of those moments where the Scripture, taste and see that the Lord is good, comes true in a deep way. So just by the way, we will not be meeting next Wednesday night here. Rather, we'll move our gathering to Tuesday next week. We will not have a formal teaching, but we will have great fellowship and food. But as I was thinking about the Thanksgiving holiday and this beautiful time of year and the food, oh, the food we get to enjoy, I was reminded of the fact that our God is a celebratory God. Did you know that your God loves to celebrate? We did not invent laughter, church. You understand that, right? Uh, We did not invent parties. You know that as well, correct? Correct. Our God is the God who, when but one person comes to faith, all of heaven throws a shindig. Now, in the South, I know you know what a shindig is. I said that when I was up north visiting some friends a few years ago, and they looked at me like I was crazy. I said, well, it's just because you don't know Jesus. And so, but you know what a shindig is. Now, a shindig, it's it's a party. When one person comes to faith, the Lord throws a party because one of his kids is coming home and that matters to him. But God loves partying in a lot of different ways. In fact, where we came from last week was this Old Testament book of Leviticus. Now, I know so many of you are going, that's my favorite book of the Bible. I know it, book, chapter, verse. Leviticus, Levi, This was the book given from God to Moses, the law given from God to Moses, primarily for the Levites. They were the tribe of Israel, one of the 12 tribes, responsible for maintaining the sacrificial and ceremonial systems. And so much of what we read about in the book of Leviticus, we read and we go, well, what does this have to do with me? By the way, one of these days we're going to go through the book of Leviticus because it has more than you realize to do with us. But we stopped and we camped out last week in Leviticus chapter 23, which is the party chapter. In it, our Lord lists seven festivals or seasons of remembrance, as well as a weekly one of Sabbath. And so last week we went through and just did sort of a high level. Here are the seven ones. So if you want to fill these in, we're going to move quick and give you the so what tonight. Now, there are seven different festivals. And the reason is, is because our God knows that our memories are short and we often have spiritual amnesia. We forget things, don't we? And we need reminders. And one of the best reminders is to couple an idea with food, couple an idea with a special day. My gracious, I don't remember what I did last week, but I do remember what our kids last birthday party, because it's a special day, Right? And so he goes through this, and there are seven different festivals. And what you'll notice is they're divided in seasons. You have spring, summer, fall. We aren't going to go through all of it, but let me just fill in the blanks. There are three in the spring, March and April. By the way, the dates shift a little bit in our calendar because it was based, the Hebrew calendar is based on the lunar cycle, not on the Gregorian calendar of 365 days except for leap years. So in the spring, you have three, the very first Festival or celebration is that of Passover. It was the day when they remembered God passing over their homes because of the blood spread over the doorpost. And instead of demanding the life of the firstborn son, God passed over. It's the night before Israel was liberated from Egyptian bondage. And so this word, the word associated, if you want to put this in your notes, is the word uh, salvation, okay? Salvation. Salvation. Because they were saved from death and saved from bondage. By the way, that's the process God saves us. You were saved from the penalty of death or sin. And then the rest of your life is learning to live as the free person that you now are. So you've been set free as well. The next one is the festival of unleavened bread. It was a seven-day celebration that began the day after... Passover. For seven days, the bread they ate would be made without leavening, without yeast, because yeast in Scripture is what? Do you remember the symbolism? Symbolic of sin, of evil. So for seven days, you have been set free, you've been saved. Now, I want you to eat bread without leavening to be reminded that just as death has not taken you, you've been liberated. You are now to live, here's your word, holy without sin and then first fruits was the sabbath after your week of unleavened bread and it was the day where your first fruits that first harvest of the spring some of the different fruit was coming in you took your first your best you gave it to god it was a declaration of trust saying i have confidence that although i have not seen the rest of the harvest i have confidence and trust that you god will give me what i need That the rest is coming. There is new life about to happen. In fact, that is the words that I would encourage you to put are new life. We're going to skip over summer, we'll come back to that at the end. Then in the fall, you have three more festivals. These are all grouped together as well. You have the Feast of Trumpets. What do you think happens on the Feast of Trumpets? They blow trumpets. Very creative names for these festivals. The Feast of Trumpets was also the Hebrews' New Year's Day. It's a day where they say, yeah, it's a new day. The word that I would give to you for this one is the word victory because the last year has passed and a new one has come. And then you have, only nine days later, you have the Day of Atonement, this is the one day a year with a high priest, there's only one high priest in Israel at a time, and that one high priest on this one day of the year would go into the most holy place of the Jewish temple, the place where, where, where God chose to make himself dwell in the Old Testament. And the high priest would go in that one day for all the people of Israel, and he would offer blood on the Ark of the Covenant, or there around, for the purpose of drawing, or symbolically representing the entire nation of Israel. And it was in that moment, the shedding of blood in there, that it was drawing Israel back to God. The way to remember this, what this day is about is real simple, and we said this last week, but it's, all, it's actually in the Word. It's just at one meant. The day of atonement is the day of at atonement. It's the day of unity where those who are far from God by the sacrifice of blood are drawn near. So your word there would be unity. Or you might want to put the word together. And then finally down here, just four, excuse me, five days later, the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles was intended to remind the Israelites of their 40 years wandering, that although they did not have a permanent home, while they wandered the desert, the wilderness, God was with them and he made his home with them and they with him. And so during this week-long celebration, the very last one of the seven of the year, the Israelites were commanded to build little huts in their front yards or in their property. So they didn't live in their house. They would go and they'd live in these little huts. And it was a way of remembering that even when we are not at our permanent home, we can be at home because God is with us. And so the word I would give you for this one is the word home. So we have salvation, holy new life, victory, unity together, home. Now here's the thing that we brought together last week. You say, wait, what about this one? We'll come back to it. We said last week that in all of these, as scholars have noted, Jesus Christ actually is represented or fulfills these. Because, remember, in Luke, the final chapter of Luke, Jesus has a conversation with two people on the road to Emmaus. Jesus has been resurrected and he meets two disciples who do not yet know that he is raised from the dead. And he begins to walk with them and he talks with them and he visits and they are despondent because Jesus is dead. They do not recognize who is with them. And, and, and they say, oh, we thought he was the one. And I love how our Savior, he goes, have you not read the Old Testament? It's all about me. And it says, beginning with Moses, Jesus shows how all of the Bible points to so let's look at these again, and then we'll get into the so what. So the Passover, church, who is the Passover lamb of God? Jesus. So John chapter 1, we're told when John the Baptist sees Jesus, he says, Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus Christ is our salvation, correct? Correct. Now, interestingly enough, we're also told that Jesus Christ is holy, without sin. On Sundays, we gather, and one of the things we do every week is we take what is called the Lord's Supper. Bread and wine. What kind of bread do we eat? Unleavened bread. Who... Jesus, the night before he died, took the bread, he broke it, and he said, this is no longer symbolic just of Egypt. This is now my body. Jesus is the unleavened bread. He is the perfect one, the holy one, who lived a perfect life. Do you see how this is even about him? Now, when we come down, when the Lord called them to give their first fruits, trusting that God was going to bring about more, that God's... Plans will not be thwarted, that God does bring about the harvest. Isn't it interesting that Paul, speaking of Jesus, says of him that Jesus Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection, meaning he was the first one to come out, but he won't be the last. For all who are in Christ Jesus, we will be raised as well. Amen? So you see in this, Jesus has actually done this. In Jesus' life, here, here's maybe the wor- word, it's been fulfilled. Now, what they then noticed is they began to say, now wait a minute, um, Christ has not yet come back. Well, and, and these things not, have not fully happened. Now, of course we're with God and, and because he lives in us, but in the truest sense of faith, to face with God. We have yet to experience that, correct? Now, in the truest sense, we are at one with God because of what Christ Jesus did on the cross, amen? But you and I, do we still struggle with sin? And do we still have moments where we break that oneness? Or at least we have issues, yes? And certainly, although we have had victory because of the cross, are there still spiritual wars being fought today? Yes, So, scholars have pointed out that these are fully and have been fully fulfilled in Christ, but these will be fulfilled when Jesus, here's your word, returns. Because when Jesus returns, we are told that at the last trumpet, Paul says, he will come back. That will be the Christian's New Year's Day when he comes and gets us. On that day, we will be truly reunited with our Father. We will see Jesus face to face. It will not simply be that he is our advocate or that he is the one interceding or advocate for us. We will be with him. And then the Feast of Tabernacles, we will not be in these temporary huts. We will be in our permanent home. John chapter 14, verse 2, Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. He also says, in my father's, what's that word? House. House. So this has been fulfilled. This will be fulfilled. Now, what about the middle? How many of us know that we're living in the middle? You've got this summertime right here, late May, early June. You have this feast of weeks. By the way, you'll notice that the Passover, verse 4 and 5, 6 and 8, 9 through 14, 15, 21, 23, 25, 26, 32, 33, 34. This is important. I'll show you why in a moment. The Feast of Weeks. What's interesting? Why is it called the Feast of Weeks? Well, it's because they were told to count off in Leviticus chapter 23. They were to count off seven weeks after first fruits. Seven weeks plus one Sabbath. Seven times seven is how many days, church? 49 plus one Sabbath equals? Okay. The, yeah. The Feast of Weeks, also known as Pentecost. Now, by the way, Acts chapter 2, what happened on the day of Pentecost when the church was together praying? The Spirit came. Jesus did His work and He says, now I'm going to give you the Spirit and there's coming a day when He will come back and He will return and all that has been prophesied will be fully fulfilled. All the things that the Old Testament says, this is what is going on, this is what He's going to be, all of it. So here's the two words I would encourage you to consider for this and then we're going to go, so what? Here we go. First word is really two words in itself. The focus of this For us is the Holy Spirit. By the way, come to church Sunday, please. We're going to talk a lot more. The other one, though, is where we left last week, right? What's this one about? Look at this for a moment. When you look at the verses, verse 4 and 5, it's Passover, 6 through 8, unleavened bread, 9 through 14, 15 through 21, 23 through 25, and so on. Now, verses 1 through 3 are about the Sabbath. So I'm not thinking of that, but do you notice that there is one verse missing that is not included in these seven feasts? I'll give you a hint. What comes after 21 and before 23? And those who have kindergarten level math skills or above say 22. So here's the question We're living in what is called the church age, when the Spirit of God is in his people. It's after the resurrection, but before the return. So what do we do in this moment, family? What does this have to do with us? It has everything to do with us. And it happens, I think, in verse 22, we get the picture of what does it mean for us to live well in this season. So you got it. You ready? Let's go. this is Leviticus 23, verse 22. I want you to see what it says here. Verse 22 reads this way. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. You say, what does that have to do with anything I think it has a lot to do with what we do now. So here's the question. What does all this mean for us? Here's what it means. This is then how we should live in light of all of these festivals and everything else. Christ's work, Christ's coming right now. He says this. When, and he's giving a very practical, true, here's your literally your hands in the dirt of life example that is not simply to be taken as a literal example, although it is literal, but it is also metaphorical for the much bigger principle. He says, when you are gleaning or when you are getting the, the ripe grain from your fields, don't take all of it. Now here's the way in the ancient world that people, that, the way we would think people ought to collect their, their grain. So you have a plot of land, this is your plot of land, the most logical way of reaping or harvesting to maximize what you get from the harvest would be to uh, do something like this, just kind of, you know, just... You don't miss anything, right? Just kind of work your way around, corner to corner, line to line. But what what the Lord says is, don't do that. He says, when... You glean. Don't glean like this. Rather, do it like this. Don't get the corners. What do you see left here? You've got a lot of space for those who have nothing, correct? Isn't it interesting that the Lord, even before Israel had her own land, hear me now, this is before Israel even had land, like we would think of, to be able to harvest. He is already thinking about those who need something, who need help. Because the purpose of Israel was never simply to be the blessed of God, but to be the blessing of God to others, right? In fact, let's just hold your finger in Leviticus, but go with me now to Genesis chapter 12. This is not in the notes, but I think it's helpful. Genesis chapter 12, we are introduced to one of the most important men, not only in Scripture, but in all of history. We're introduced to him as Abram, but he is later given the name of Abraham. Now, notice what is interesting here. In Genesis chapter 12, the Lord comes to Abraham, and he says this in verse 1. Notice, the Lord said to Abram, leave your country your people, your father's house, and go to the land I will show you. This is the land that Israel now in Leviticus is heading towards. God began the promise and they're continuing towards it. Now notice verse 2. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and what we want to do is we then want to just close it up right there right oh god's gonna bless me he's gonna make me a great nation i'm gonna have what i need thank you jesus i'm gonna go to church and i'm gonna celebrate because he's good to me quick question at the end of the word great do you have any punctuation at the end of your word great yeah what what is what's yours i'm sorry. It's a comma. Now, I don't have a comma because I put a period on mine. I just sort of wrote that in. No, right? What's the difference between a comma and a period? The idea is not over with. There's more to come, right? It continues. Oh, I'm sorry. My wife is an English major. Darling, can you give us a definition? No, never mind. Um. May I still come home tonight? Seriously though, my wife is brilliant and the number of things that I've sent out to the church that she's helped me make sure the grammar is correct, she's awesome. But notice, it's a common, not a period because God's blessing to me is intended for, I know this is bad grammar but hear me now, we. God blesses you so you can be a blessing because the very next part of that verse goes like this, and you, Abram, and you, Clear Creek, and you who call on my name, you will be a blessing. I'm going to bless you so that you may bless other people. I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, and all the people on earth will be, say these words with me, blessed through you. So now in Leviticus chapter 23, God is giving definition for what it looks like. Now, the blessing of God from the people of God, uh, there's multiple layers to this, are there not? We'll talk about those in a moment, but notice there are three different categories of people here. Um, Someone tell me in chapter, or excuse me, back to Leviticus 23 verse 22, what are the three different kinds of people mentioned there? What's that? Okay, the poor. Yeah, they're one. Let's put them up here, okay? So you've got the poor, okay? Yeah, aliens. Like every other man. All right, no? Okay. Aliens refers to just a sojourner, someone who is not originally from that land, but is now in that land. That's correct, a foreigner, right? Okay, good question. All right now there 's one other person though what god well okay he 's yeah he 's assumed, but there 's another person in there, an... the reapers, the workers, those who are in the field, so we 've got workers we 've got the poor we 've got the aliens or the foreigners let 's put that up there, make it a little clear foreign now here's what's interesting who in this passage does God assume the Israelites are of the three are the Israelites the poor the foreigners or the workers the The chosen of God those who've been bought who have received salvation who are to live holy who have experienced new birth We are now the workers, correct? Okay? You and I have been brought into the family of God, and what is true for them is true for us in this way. When Jesus talked to his disciples, in John chapter 4, he looks out at the people and he says, I tell you the truth, the fields are white unto what? He is not talking to people because they're Jewish. He is talking to followers because they are followers. And he is giving in the New Testament an echo of what God wanted in the Old Testament that those who know him are here to help those who either don't yet know him, need to know him, need the care of God, the love of God, and he says, guess what? I'm gonna bless you so that way you get to be hands and feet for other people. One of the coolest things in the world is to be able to share with other people. And the better thing is when someone else says, hey, um, I would like for you to be a, an intermediary and give this gift sort of on my behalf, but I'll let you take credit too. It's like, it's like this. Growing up, when mom and dad would buy gifts for one another, and as kids, I mean, we had no money, and the money we had, they'd given to us for allowance, right? But we got to write our name on the card to dad for his birthday, although mom, and really dad, paid for it themselves, right? But we got to be part of it. And in fact, we got to help wrap the gift to give to dad, and and it was horrible. I mean, our wrapping skills were atrocious, but you'd wrap it, and you put that bow on top, you put the note, and, and maybe mom would say, hey, I want you to draw your handprint if you didn't know how to write your name at this age. I mean, we were only 14, 15, 16 years old at that time. <laughs> uh, but but And so you take the gift. You got your name on it. And you think, this is the best thing in the world. I get to give my dad something I love even though you didn't pay for it. Here's the deal. God says, I'm going to give you a land that you didn't buy. I'm going to give you a home that you did not build in fact in deuteronomy i believe it's in chapter 18 i don't remember but i believe that's where it says where the lord tells me he says don't you dare when you get there and you live in homes you didn't build drink from wells you did not dig out fields that you did not prepare don't you dare begin to think that it's all because of you it's because of me because i love you and so god says i'm going to give you a good gift but the gift is not just for you it's for other people and so I want you to see something here. Does this idea of not reaping to the edges um, bring to mind a passage of Scripture or a, maybe a story from the Old Testament? Ah, uh, Ruth and Boaz, right? Ruth, chapter 2, we're told that Ruth, this Moabitess, she's a foreigner, by the way, so she, see how God is so good, by the way? She's a foreigner. Ruth comes along. Her husband and her mother and father in law, her father in law rather, dies. Her her brother in law dies. She becomes a widow. Her mother in law's a widow. And and although she could have gone back home, she says, No, 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 to her mother in law, I'm going with you, Naomi. Where you go, I'm going to go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. All the while, knowing that it would probably mean she'd be destitute. Because she is a widow. Her mama-in-law is a widower. It's just not a good thing. But she goes back. And when she goes back with Naomi, she says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go work in the fields if you'll give me permission. And Naomi says, yes. And she goes and she begins to go in the fields. And the reason she was able to do that is because in Leviticus 23, God set up a plan so she would be provided for. Then... Jump ahead a few weeks, few months, she meets this guy named Boaz. God works it together. Come to find out they're not long-lost friends. They're long-lost relatives. She ends up marrying this guy. The story is beautiful. She'd been working in his field. They meet each other. Life is good. They then have a son. Do you remember the son they had together? If you don't, it's okay. It's in chapter 4 of Ruth. But do you remember the name? Obed. And the story doesn't end there in Ruth. Rather, because the writer of Ruth doesn't want us to miss the point. He says, And Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David. And if you know your Bible... And by the way, if you're not sure how all this works, just go read the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1 because in there you begin to see that, oh, this woman named Ruth who was able to glean in the fields because God set it up in Leviticus 23. She gets married to this guy named Boaz. They have a son who has a son who has a son who has a son. And you keep going all the way down until the true and great son is born. Interestingly enough, in Leviticus 23, God was providing for his own son to come into the world. What would have happened if the people of God had chosen not to obey God? What would have happened if if maybe... What would have happened maybe if... Instead of doing it God's way, they said, you know, it's just not economical. I can't afford to be generous this year because of what's going on. So I'm just going to kind of, you know, God won't mind if if I just do it this way this once. And I heard someone say, God would have found a way. You're absolutely right. But here's the difference. They would not have been a part of God's story, would they? That's what Matthew 25 is talking about. It's our final exam. Yeah. And so you have this picture, I think. We've been called to be workers. Now, what does it mean to work? Let's just give some practical things. I think there's a couple categories here, right? Certainly, when we're called to be workers, it does mean that we are generous with what we have. Generosity, please do not think so small of generosity. That is only only financial. It is that, but it's more than that, right? I mean, how many of us have been blessed by the time that a friend has spent with us? An older mentor who sat down and just said, hey, what's going on? How are you doing? The person who came to the hospital when you were sick. See, generosity is a multifaceted response from God's people. So here's what's interesting. Certainly there's that. There's the the physical. By the way, if you want to write it down, I put a couple extra little bullets under your notes there. If you want to put this in here. Uh, Workers... Workers live in the abundant life of God. Notice, it is the fields that they have been given that they are now harvesting. It is, the, it is the gift of God that they're now using to be able to be a blessing. So a worker is someone who has been blessed by God. And don't think big fields. Hey, do you know the average size of a first century field? We're talking about the size of half of this room here. So when you think of your field, don't think of, well, I don't got a back 40. Yeah, but I bet every one of us, we've been blessed this much, haven't we, by God? It's a, it's a garden, yeah. And by the way, if you want good garden food, go talk to Flory, but that's another story for another day. So now here's the thing. There is this abundant life that God has called us into, and part of that is we get to share it with others. Now the poor, the poor, They don't live the abundant life. And I don't mean this, this is not, stay with me for a moment here. They are not able to give to others and experience the joy of sharing. They're taking care of the immediate needs of life. And the Lord Jesus says, you will always have the poor with you. So we are to be generous, to be providers. And our God-given prayer is that those who do not have will come to a place where they do have so they can join us in both experiencing the fullness and giving the fullness. And, and there will always be people who are, uh, you know, let's just talk metaphorically, who are sort of coming and going, right? By the way, all three of these groups make up Clear Creek. You know that, right? This isn't just physical either. Here's the other level. What does it mean to be about the Lord's work now? This isn't just that we are physically helping, but there, I think, is a deeper message here. We're called to spiritually. Feed others, are we not? Uh, Consider this with me. In the church, you always have those who are workers spiritually, people who know the Word of God, they've experienced the grace of God, and they are the ones who are giving, giving, giving to the body. I'm not talking about the preacher, I'm talking about what you did even just earlier tonight, where you shared something God had shared with you. You were a worker in the field tonight. Do you see this? And then there are others who, who they just, well, they're poor spiritually maybe. And maybe that's because they are new to faith and they're growing and they have yet to sort of develop. Or maybe it's because they have just chosen for whatever reason to not fully engage. And so we continue to share. We continue to, to press in because our hope is that they will experience the fullness of God. And then there are those who come to our fellowship and and you need to know this, we have people who come from other places because they've been hurt, they've been wounded and they come, they get healing here and then they go back out to continue the mission God has given them. They are passing through. But here's what I want us to consider. What does it look like to live well today In light of the fact that we are now living in this season, waiting for this one, it means that if I am currently poor, I begin to lean into what God wants from me so I can begin not simply to receive the generosity of others, but be generous as well. And if I am a worker, then what what does that passage say? Do not grow weary of doing... Do you remember it? good for at the right time and i'm paraphrasing you will reap yeah a great reward so if you are one who right now you are working and you're you're someone who says you know the lord has blessed me and instead of being someone who only takes and takes what god has given me i want to be someone who gives it i want to, it can get wearing doing that sometimes can we disagree on that or, or are you guys way too spiritual for me tonight I've got to admit, there are days where I do not want to leave anything for others. I've given as much as I'm gonna, and that's that. And then I usually sort of dress it up with, you know, pious talk. Well, I, I, I need some, well, just some time with the Lord because uh, stuff, you know, and that's about it. But boy, I want to be this kind of a person. So that there are others who can come in and taste and see that the Lord is good. Who knows but the generosity of sharing the spiritual blessings and the physical blessings? Who knows but that there may be a future Ruth that you don't know now, that you may never even meet, who by what God does in you, through you, that person may come to faith, and who knows the legacy of faith that they may pass on as a result as well. So what does it mean? Find where you are and press into this. Find where you are. And you say, well, how do I do that? How, how? I mean, there are days where people are just tough. By the way, just show of hands, have you ever had a day where you did not know how to help other people because they were so prickly? Have you ever met a prickly person? Let's do this first. Okay, sorry. Have you ever met a prickly person? Yes? Yes? And by the way, you know how this goes. If you don't raise your hand, you know the reason you don't know any prickly people? We'll have confession later. All right, so you know prickly people. Have you ever had a day where you just did not think you had what it took to deal with one more prickly person? Maybe you had children and they were those prickly, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it was the guy that was staring back at you in the mirror. You say, how do I do it? How do I do it? All right, this Sunday we're going to drill down even more, believe it or not, this all ties together with Sunday, but I'll give you a hint. Are you ready? Here's your hint, and then we're going to pray together. You need to come Sunday, by the way. We're going to get into this more. But here's the hint. He has not left us to do this on our own, church. He did not simply point you to the field and say, good luck, I'll be back later. He says, you go on out there. By the way, I'm already out there working. We never go where the Holy Spirit is not already. You say, what does that have to do with anything? Come back Sunday, we'll talk about it. Let's pray together. And let's ask God to help us as we walk the way he's called us to. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the provision you gave to people centuries down the line. There was not an inkling in the mind of any person there that day at the foot of Sinai when Moses was giving this this teaching, this news, this law about appointed times and feasts and festivals, there was not one person there who had the f- faintest thought that there would one day be a young girl named Ruth, who would be a, a benefactress of this gift of yours. And there was no one there that day who who could have traced the way your hand would work that from this moment in Leviticus 23 that you would be making provision for your son to come and make perfect provision for all of us. But they obeyed. They worked. And the world has been changed. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the privilege that while we live in the season of summer, that we have the privilege now of getting to work in the field And I look forward to hearing the stories in heaven of all those who will be blessed because of the way that those in this room choose to share what you have given them. Lord Jesus, we love you and thank you. We look forward to your return. It's in your name we pray, amen.